Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Brendan Burns Show. Today joining us is Tim Brownson. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, of course. So I'd love to start out. First of all, where are you based right now? Um, in a place called Gopher, just outside Orlando, which you can probably tell from my accent. I'm not, I'm not local to these parts. I moved from England in uh, 2006. Mm, gotcha. And, and how did you wind up making that transition and move? Um, well, we'd wanted to come for a while. I, I, as you can see, I'm a massive football fan and a Rams fan. I've been since 1984. So we used to come pretty much every year to watch a game or whatever you, um, in St. Louis. And uh, we just always had fun. We came on loads of vacations. I used to come here on business as well. And my wife's a nurse. She's a, um, she's a, a DMP, a doctor of nursing practice. So it was easy for us to get a green card based on. But only her. attached his head on her visa before the green card came. Um, oh, sorry, on mine, must accompany your wife. In other words, we don't want you without your wife, mate. You know, stay with your wife. Gotcha. That's great. And, and so I was reading a little bit more about your story, and it, you said that in, in 2005, not that many people knew about life coaching. And I want to hear all about your practice and what you do, but I'd love to start just by hearing a little bit more about this industry. Like, what, what do you see life coaching is, and, and what was the evolution of, the, of this industry developing? Well, what I see is, is is a mess at the moment because there's so many different people doing so many different things, and there isn't there isn't really a, you know there isn't um, guidelines that are enforceable. So there is you know, most people that, that do formal training, like I did, the training something called coactive coaching, and that is what I call pure coaching, which is what the ICF, the International Coach Federation, uh, support. Um, but anybody can call themselves a life coach. It doesn't really mean anything. You know, ask people what life is. Yeah, I know what life is. It's, you know, born and, you know, whatever. And what's coaches? Yeah, coach. What's a life coach? Fuck it. I have no idea, <laughs> you know. So the thing that I people say to me more often than not is, or people who don't know, know what it is, and like a social media, I don't need somebody to tell me what to do in my life, which is fantastic because that's not what I do. I am not an expert in your life or anybody else's. I'm not even an expert in my own life, to be quite honest with you. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yes, yeah, so it's just it's, it, of people trying to help other people. But the, the crux of it is to be a good coach, really, it's about asking questions and helping people come to their own realizations rather than saying, go and do this, then do that, and then you'll be happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, so that's interesting because I, I've met a lot of people who want to be a coach and then they realize that they're not gaining traction, they're not getting clients, or they are yeah. getting clients, but they don't feel like they're getting results. And I ask them, why do you have this? Why are you worried about this? And they say, well, I'm not in a perfect marriage and I'm not making $10 million a year, so am I qualified to do this? And what, and what would you say back to that? Well, is a, is a bald hairdresser qualified to do his job? You know, is uh, is a doctor who gets sick should he have to give up his medical license? No, I mean, there's there's things that are sensible. You can't be a fitness coach where you know weighing three hundred and fifty pounds and smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and knocking back the whiskey and doing lines of coke while you're talking to your your clients. You know, so there has to be things where there's going to be some credibility. But but half of my time now is working with the coaches because I've done this for thirteen years and built an online presence, more and more coaches. So I've got two separate businesses and and you know most coaches are struggling i would say 95 percent people are going to coaching are struggling because they go in for no other reason than you know i've heard people say to me um you know i was born to be a coach and i'm like great well good luck with that if that's your marketing strategy because that sucks you know it, it, so people go into it because 
There's also such a low bar to entry. The bar has been stamped into the ground. It's just, you know, because most people have got a computer and, you know, they can get onto Zoom or a phone or what have you. So there's really no bar to entry. So what's, what, what's happened is it's been a bit like a gold rush. People have come flying into coaching thinking, oh, I can do that. They hear all these high-ticket clients, this bullshit that you get, especially on LinkedIn. It's dripping with people. I can help you get high-ticket clients by coaches that normally can't, couldn't get clients themselves. So now they're teaching coaches. Yeah. So they, they, they dive into this, not realizing that it's a business. You know, if you treat it like a hobby, you'll get hobby results. You know, you have to treat, you have to understand marketing. You have to be prepared to put yourself out there. And, and sadly, a lot of coaches aren't, and they get burned. And I've known coaches that have wasted a lot of money, and then they've had to walk away from it. A lot, a lot of people have done that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get those messages on LinkedIn every day. Oh, it sucks. I got two, the other day, a couple of days ago, I posted it in my Facebook group for coaches. I got the exact same message from two different people within a, an hour. Because obviously there's people selling these scripts, you know, and it's always, let's just hop on a quick Zoom call. I don't want to <laughs> hop anywhere with you. Fuck <laughs> off and stop wasting my time. And, one of the, and I got a guy contact me yesterday 20 minutes after I'd connected with him on LinkedIn. He said in his bio he was a life coach. And 20 minutes later, he said, oh, I do do life coaching, but I'm actually in insurance. So can we hop on a call and I can explain to you how I can help you with your insurance? I'm like, that's not selling. That's just hassling people, hoping that somebody's going to buy. You know, it's, yeah. it just, it, I worked in sales for 20 years and, and at quite high level for the last 10 years. And I, I, I just hate poor salesmanship, which is probably 95% of people that call themselves salespeople are just yeah. because they're just hassling people. Yeah, absolutely. So now let's, I'd love to talk a little bit about your actual practice. When you, as a life coach, what are the different issues that you see people? What are the biggest things holding people back that, that you help people with? Well, I'm, so, so this is where it kind of splits up because, you know, there's certain things I don't do. So I'm not interested in helping people set goals. You can go, sign up my newsletter, get my book on that, and you don't need me to help you set goals. I'm not interested in helping people with time management because I suck at time management and I'm not very good at it. A woman phoned me not that long ago and she said, I need help with time management. I said, yeah, so do I. Do you know that anybody that's any good at it? Needless to say, she didn't hire me. Um, so I tend to, I like people that come to me that kind of aren't sure what they want. They're, they're in that position in life, maybe you know, like I was. So I was, you know, when I got into coaching, I was um, in my early 40s and just, you know, I was working in sales, earning great money but just like really super stressed all the time and, and down and what have you. And, and, and I didn't know what I wanted. So that's my kind of ideal client. You know, when, when people used to come to me in the early days and I'd say, what is it you're looking to achieve? And they'd be like, I don't know. I'd be like, shit, well, if you don't know, how that inside my head? How the hell am I supposed to know? But now that's my kind of ideal client. Somebody that just feels stuck, just got a sense that they've got more in them, more potential, more you know, there's more opportunity out there for them, but maybe they don't know what it is. And uh, so it's kind of an unusual, it's not really a niche because most people are still that come to a coach. Uh, in fact, I don't really have a niche, but it's a certain type of client that I'm, I'm looking for. So for example, I, I won't work with anybody under the age of about 30. I'm just not interested because, it, you know, they're all over the place. In my experience, people of that age are not quite sure what they want or whatever. So it's, yeah, it's a very specific type of person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For sure. And what, what would you say, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background, either upbringing or your earlier life. And, and did that influence at all wanting to become a coach? Is it, did you overcome certain things and say, Hey, I want to help people do this. Like, how did you get to become one? Well, that's really interesting because my background is sort of stunningly boring. I, I had a very 
normal, happy childhood. I didn't have any, you know, any problems like that. Now, I think that the way I got, so <clears throat> like I say, I kind of, like most people that worked in sales, I drifted into sales. Nobody's at school, you know, like six, I want to be a salesperson when I grow up. <clears throat> so um, I, I kind of drifted into sales and, and worked my way up the corporate ladder to, like I say, some pretty, you know, multi-million dollar deals and what have you, a lot really so long um, sales cycles. But, and it's hard because most people don't really understand what selling is all about. It's a very technical thing. You know, you, you, it's very skilled at, at that level, but it's also incredibly pressurized. And I just got worn down and down and down because you, you do well, you close a deal or you hit a quota slash target. They don't say, oh, you know what, Tim? Fantastic. Take your foot off the gas now. You go and, you go and chill out for two or three weeks. We've, we've got you back. It's like, no, it's more and more and more. So I kind of stumbled into life coaching by... So originally, I'd, I went to Sheffield University to do a stress management diploma in 2004. And um, when I was there, I, I didn't really add anything. It was very old school stress management, which doesn't really work very effectively. And that's something I used to do a lot in my early days with clients. And then I saw this advert for life coaching training. I just thought, oh, that, that'd be cool. A, make me a better manager. And B, give me some of the tools. I, didn't, I had no intention of becoming a coach at that point. But when I did it, I thought, oh, this is, this is fantastic. And then I stopped, got talking to some people about NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. So I went to the, a practitioner course on that and a master practice and another master practice and hypnotherapy training. So I started doing all these trainings. And I suddenly thought, ah, oh, you know what? Because we were looking at moving to America. But the, the, one of the saving graces in the UK was I accrued five weeks of paid vacation a year. My wife was on eight and a half weeks of paid vacation. I did not want to come to America and, and, and go back into sales and maybe have one paid week a year or two I just couldn't do that so I said okay I need to make the break now so it, it was kind of time was perfect mm -hmm. um, I'd love to go a little bit deeper on NLP I've okay. heard the term I've read a little bit about it I was at my friend's apartment the other night and he had all these NLP books and I'm really excited to dig in and dive in but what do you, how would you define NLP and and how could people maybe leverage these tools for their own growth well th that's the thing that you can't define NLP, it's a big umbrella term. And when people say, you know, NLP is pseudoscience, what they're really saying is, I have no fucking clue what NLP is. Because there's certain elements of NLP that are very, very much grounded in science. Certainly, so it's two distinct side, neuro-linguistics. The neuro is the thing that people tend to think of, the flashbang, the rapid change, sort of fast phobia cures, you know, so I can, and I used to do a lot of NLP like this. I, I was on a flight to, uh, to Denver one time. Woman was freaking out, terrified. And I sat with her for about an hour, did a bit of hypnotherapy, and she was fine by the time we, we landed. So it's got this rapid change stuff that is kind of, some of it's based in science, most of it isn't, to be fair. Um, but the linguistic side very much is. So the, linguist, the language patterns and that, you know, I use that with clients all, all the time. And it's, it, it's two distinct types of language. One is called the meta model, highly specific language. You know exactly what somebody means when you talk to them. So it's drilling down. You know, if you say to me, yeah, everybody knows that. Well, not everybody knows it, of course. So what do you mean by everybody? I mean, my wife doesn't know what you're talking about. So, so it's the specific language. But then there's a flip side, which is the Milton model, which is awfully vague languages. And this is the stuff that's jumped on by cold readers. This is the stuff that's jumped on by copywriters. You know, I can recopy things like that. I know what they're doing here. They're using this technique so that people fill in the gaps. They, they kind of vote, say very little so that we rush to fill the gaps when there's, when, um, with, that kind of, with that kind of style. So it's so big. I mean, I'd love to come on and talk to you. I could talk to you for you know, hours about NLP and get into how it started and what have you. But, but, it, but like I say, it, it's like saying, well, 
tell me about medicine. It's like, well, which bits? <laughs> you know, it's like that. There's over 500 patterns, NLP, they call them patterns. The things that probably the, the, the most powerful part of NLP, and NLP didn't invent this because it's also the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is reframing or cognitive reappraisal, they call it in CBT, which is basically looking at a situation, not changing it, but putting your interpretation of it so you can feel better about it. And reframing is super powerful. Loads of science, especially in new neuroscience, to support that. And it's, I would encourage anybody to learn how to reframe. It can change your life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, I like your analogy of like, what's medicine or what's, <laughs> what's math? You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but, but if you did have, do you have either a resource or an, a primer book or somewhere where people could get started? The, there actually isn't. And, and that, you know, this is the difficulty with it. There isn't one book. So the first two books on NLP, probably the first book on NLP, but it's not, it's not in print anymore. So you're going to have to pay 20 or 30 books for it's called. Um, I beg your pardon, the second one is called Frogs into Princess. And that was, uh, that was um, written by Bandling Grinder, who started NLP. These were two. Uh, uh, John Grinder was a, a, a linguistics professor at Santa Cruz University, and Bandler, who's a genius, mad as a hatter, but a genius, was a, was a maths undergraduate. And they got together and started. What they started to do was model people that were super successful, like uh, Virginia Satia, Milton Erickson, and, and um, Fritz Perls were the three they modeled, they were therapists, and then started to pick unpick what they did. But so that book kind of covers all different elements because Frogs into Princes is like a, a workshop that they gave. But really, probably the one that I tend to, and I've not read it for years, so it, there's a book called NLP, The New Technology of Achievement, and that does cover a lot of it, but not in any not one thing in any one detail. So, for instance, Bandler's written a book and Grinder just on reframing, and that's just one tiny element. Of mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's very helpful. Thank you. I have, an, I have a question for – because I know some of my listeners are either coaches or want to be coaches, right. and I want to ask you a little bit more about like how to build that business in, in an ethical way. But mm-hmm. I actually want to flip over for a minute and put, my, put ourselves in the shoes of a person who's interested in hiring a coach. Right. I'm going through something in my life and, you know, people, first of all, I guess the first question is what's the biggest difference between a therapist or a counselor and a coach and which one should I hire? That's a, that's a really tough, have you just, do you say about five toughest questions I could ask you? <laughs> so a lot of, co- well, lots of people, a lot of coaches get this wrong. I hear people say coaching and, and, and therapy, you know, they're nothing like one another. Yes, they are probably 75% of it is, is the same. But yeah. really with, 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 with therapists, you know, it's a broad blanket statement. It's not always true, but they tend to, you know, the therapist will tend to go backwards to look to the root cause. Whereas a coach will tend to think, well, where are you now? And where do you want to get? And how do we plan a route to that? Mm-hmm. So that's a, a very down and dirty. But, you know, so I had somebody phone me, uh, contact me a couple of days ago from India. And I got a sense something wasn't quite right. And then I said, can you give me some more details? I need to know before I set up the consult call. And he was clearly severely depressed. Now, I'm not trained to deal with people with severe depression. I'm not trained to people, deal with people with moderate depression. I'll deal with mild depression, or maybe moderate if it's, un, if, if it's, if it's being controlled by a doctor. You know, so I, I do have clients that are also seeing therapists, as long as I get, you know, I ask them to get the, you know, to, as professional um, courtesy to, to, to tell them or get the okay from them. But, um, you know, certainly things like severe anxiety, 
depression, you know, bipolar, self-harm. These are all things that, you know, are, are the realm of therapy. If you just feel a bit stuck and a bit down from time to time, then it's probably a coach. Or if you want help with accountability or, or these things. But I'll touch on stuff that verges on therapy. And I know therapists now that are drifting into coaching as well because they see it's, uh, you know, the, the potential to keep clients for longer. So normally they'd say, okay, bye, you're on your own now. Now they can slip into coaching and keep their, keep their cash register churning <laughs> over. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's really helpful. And w- one other question. So when, when someone's coming and, and they maybe they engage you or they engage a coach, what, what advice would you give to someone who's about to start working with a coach in terms of how they can show up and get the most out of it and play full out? Like, what would you say to someone who says, I want to get the most out of this? What do I need to do? This is tough because what I'm going to say, I feel a little bad about saying it because I train new coaches somewhere, but I'd look for experience first. I'd look for somebody that's got a track record uh, because, um, you know, if somebody's been doing this five years, they must know what they do to a certain extent. You know, where, you know, otherwise you're going to be out of business in that time. I think the single most important thing, though, is do you like the person? Do you, do you drop into instant rapport when you talk to them? Do you think, yeah, I really believe in this person? Or are they trying to sell to you? So on a, on a consult, I'll say to people, look, if you want to work with me, I'd like to work with you. Presuming I do, I will turn down at least one in three inquiries because I don't think they're right for me I said yeah I'd be happy to work with you if you want to work with me that's great if you want to think about it that's great if you want to talk to some other people I've thought about I've worked with that's great if you want to if you don't want to do it that's great just do what's right for you I'm not going to sell you on this because I'm not interested in pushing people to work with me I just could not give a toss about that you know you either want to work me or you don't so I think it's important that you know if somebody's trying to push you on a sell on a call and consult that you know, if you sign up now, you know, I won't. This price won't be available next week. Yes, it will. Stop. <laughs> you know, I had a car guy tell me that. The other <laughs> he says you can't get this price again. He dropped his price. He, dropped, he said if you buy today, because I said buy today, dropped his price by five grand. I said, well, great. At least you know the starting point next time I come back. And said, <laughs> don't be don't be pressured into doing it. Do your due diligence. If, if they can give you testimonials, you know, check up on the testimonials. I've got 30 plus, I haven't added any for three or four years. There's no point. You know, ask about those um, because it's, it's an investment. It has to be an investment. And so, but, but, but I think the core of it is, does it feel right? If you get a negative sense about somebody, then back off. Don't be pressured into working with them no matter what. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. And when, and so you've mentioned this a few times how, and and I love this because I used to work in finance and uh, co-running a hedge fund and we were always trying to raise capital, raise money for the hedge fund. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times someone would show up with a slick smile and a big check for our fund, but we know that they're going to call us every day and be like, is the fund up? Is the fund down? And they're going to yank their money out. The first month things go bad. So we had, we really tried to say we're only looking for partners and investors who have that same long-term mindset basically aligned with us. And you've said you turn down one in three potential leads sometimes, and you're not looking for people under 30. Two questions. One is what else are you looking for to say, Hey, this is not for me. What qualities do you push away? And number two, if you could just talk a little bit more about the importance for anyone who has their own business to make sure they're not just taking every cash dollar that comes in and they're being more secure and, and thoughtful about who they take on as clients. 
Yeah, and, and client, you know, coaches do it at the beginning, and I did a few times, and it always came around to bite me, Brendan. You know, if I if I get a bad feeling about somebody, it kind of would always go, it would always go south on me. I mean, I, I just haven't done it for a number of years now, but I think you know, it's it's personality, it's a close working relationship. So, you know, I've got a very British sarcastic sense of humour. If I if I crack a joke on the on the the consult call, and it just goes stony silent, I'm like, okay, this isn't going to work. Because I can't be dancing around on eggshells. You know, if I swear and they get all offended, I'm, you know, one of the things that a lot of coaches are afraid of doing, or, or some of them just don't think it's relevant, which is branded. So I, I said before, I haven't got a very strong niche for the day and adventure. I've got a very strong brand. I'm the coach that's, that swear, swears a lot, including in my blog posts and newsletter. I tell a lot, use a lot of humor, a lot of metaphors and stories and what have you. And sometimes I'll ramble. Um, you, you know, so... Most people that come to me kind of already know that. <clears throat> so they already either been on my newsletter list or they've read my blog posts or whatever. And normally, the con- you know, I like the sense of humor or I like you just tell it like it is. So when I'm working with the coaches, I've got a Facebook group just for coaches. And I'll tell them, I just did a review of a load of websites. I'll just say, look, this isn't going to work. You need to rip it down and build it up again. So I think with coaches, it's just like you, every coach knows you get that point where somebody's talking to you, a potential client, and inside your head, you go, yes, this is perfect. This is spot. You can't say that because it's going to sound so cheesy. You're my <laughs> ideal client. You are bang in the middle of everything I do. Well, you kind of know it. And then I have to tamp down my enthusiasm. I'm like, look, I'd like to work with you, you know, but it's going to be right for you. So, so coaches, don't be tempted to take money if you don't think you're going to have a good work relationship with it. You're going to regret it. You know, it may be a thousand bucks or, or whatever ever now. But there's nothing worse, there is nothing worse than sitting down to start a coaching session with somebody who you don't like. Yeah, I think I've had probably five or six clients in my in 13 years that I actually dislike the people and I had to cut them all short. It was just like one guy was ripping off, he wasn't paying his employees while he was taking 18 grand a month out of his own business. He thought it was super clever and just things like that. So there has to be some. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, I'm, very, I'm, you know, I'm fairly liberal. Um, you know, I've, I've ranted about Trump no end of times, but I've got one client at the moment who's a really great client who's a Trump supporter, but we just don't talk about that. But, you know, uh, you know and I respect his opinion, even though he's wrong, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's helpful. Again, I, I think it's so important to just not take everyone under the sun. What, I mean, what were the biggest things that you learned early on as a coach? And I guess this is a question that can go beyond just this one segment. I was going to say, what did you learn from taking on the wrong clients early on? But I guess the other question is, how have you changed as a coach, you know, over your time and experience? And, and do you do different methodologies? And how are you different now? I, I think the biggest difference is I work much quicker now. Because, uh, you know, I, I just haven't worked with, you know, I don't know how many clients. It's well over a thousand. Uh, no, it wouldn't be, but well over 500. Um, but I, I think... Um, in the early days, so I can think of one client I took on <clears throat> who had got, it was very mildly Asperger's. And with certain types of clients, so for example, client, you know, I see coaches now dealing with people with ADHD, which is fine, they can definitely be coached. And so could this guy, but here's what you need to do that. You need a shitload of patience. And I haven't got it. I, now, I work for 12 months with clients, but they're nearly always life coaches who are looking to build a business and start... I just get, I just want to move quick. I'm, I'm, I get frustrated with coaches 
when they come into the Facebook group and ask, how do you get clients to work with you for longer? The question should be, how do I work as quickly as I can and get this client on the way so I don't create a, you know, a dependent relationship or a codependent relationship? I need their money and they need me. Now, it's okay. Some people can afford to have a coach all the time. I have a coach all the time. I probably get together with every couple of months. Um, but I, but I, I think it's, yeah, to, it's was appreciating, okay, I can't take that type of client. I can't take a type of client. I had a guy come to me one time and he came to the first meeting he was a face to face, when he used to do face to face. And he told me, he didn't tell me this on the console and, and I didn't get a hint of it to be honest with him. He told me, he said, oh, I'm bipolar. I'm like, oh shit, okay. But he said, don't worry, it's managed. And um, I said, okay. So he said, and he, he was super, super wealthy and um, he got his own business. So he got nobody to report to. So he said, I want you to hold me accountable. You must hold me accountable. I said, fine, I ain't got a problem with that. So we, we booked in the second session and he, uh, he didn't turn up. So, um, so I sent him an email saying, okay, that's one session. You, you, you're paying for that, even though you didn't turn up. And five minutes later, the phone went, and uh, he, he was on the other end, and he just unleashed this torrent of abuse and that. And I just started laughing, and I just laughed and laughed, and eventually he just ran out of steam. He says, well, I'm glad you've got a good sense of humor. Hung up, didn't work with him again. But I should have said, when he told me he was bipolar, I should have said, okay, bipolar is so tricky. Even people that have got it under relative control, it can tip one way or the other sometimes. So it, the, 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 never, there's never been a time where well, I carried on working with somebody when I didn't think it was a good thing that it didn't blow up in my face. Never. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's such good advice. Thank you, Tim, for sharing that. I, I want to ask you a question about, let's say you do a consult with someone and you're very well aligned with what they want or what they need. And you know that they would work well with you. You know that they, if, if they engage you, their life could really transform or something great could happen in their life. And you know that they have money. You know that they can afford it. It might be a little out of their price range, but you know they have some disposable income and they don't want to pay. Where do you, how do you sell or what's your sales process or mindset around that? Because I know you never want to push someone too hard or be unethical, but if you know you can really change their life and you know they have the money and they're just really resistant because these types of things require investment, whether it's therapy or coaching, like it's not that cheap, but that's because it can be so transformative. How do you deal with situations like that? First of all, it very rarely happens. And I'll, I'll tell you for why. Because um, my, my prices are on, not only on my, the life coaching page, but also there's a rates page. So most people know my, what I'm going to charge before. Um, also, if that happens and they're reluctant to pay the pricing, that's, I've, I've missed something in the sales process there. If you get to that point where they don't want to do it, you've missed, you, know, you haven't really understood. If, you, if I know that they can benefit from it, and they're reluctant to pay it, that means I haven't explained the benefit of it to them properly. So then if, if I want to go down that path, it's looping back and going back to begin the sales process and saying, okay, look, help me understand. You've said you want to achieve this. How are you going to feel in a year's time if you haven't achieved that? You know, what's that worth to you to having that? Let's suppose you, you've got that now. What is it worth to you? Is it not worth $2,000 or whatever? If it isn't, that's fine. But so, you know, there's various sales things you can do, but I tend to just back off. I'm, I'm you know, I just, I get a bit complacent because I'm, I'm, I'm not struggling for clients. I just, you know, and I, but in that scenario, it would have mean I've missed something in the sales process, definitely. Right, right. No, that makes sense. And I guess, so you're more comfortable, you have a bigger client base. 
what would you say to someone who's like, cause you're getting all these LinkedIn emails. And so you see all these like 25 year olds. And I think being hungry is fantastic. They have high energy. They're channeling it in the wrong way. They're being pushed. What would you say to someone who's like 28 and would come to you and say, Tim, I know I'm screwing up. I know I'm pushing people too hard. I'm too aggressive, but like, I need the money. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't have client, any clients yet. What would, what advice would you give them? I, I don't care. So, so the, the, the email I was talking about yesterday, I got it and, and I said, I, I responded, usually I'll just delete them out. I responded and I said, you know, the fact that he said he was, an, he was a life coach and then he went to sell me insurance. I said, that's a new low for LinkedIn. Uh, well done. And um, he came back and he says, you don't understand. I've had a real tough life. I said, I don't give a fuck. There's loads of people that have had tough lives that don't resort to extorting money out of people, which is, is that's probably, the, you know, I'm probably going over the top there, but it, it really is. If you're pushing, if you're pushing clients to hire you, that you don't think you're a great fit, then you are absolutely stealing money. So I don't give a shit how poor you are. There's poor people. Go and get another job. Go and learn how to sell properly or whatever. Don't don't try and justify that by saying, "Well, I'm tight for cash." This, you, you know. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So my question now is, that person who's tight for cash, what what should he be doing differently? Like, how can someone like deal with that in a healthy way? What like if someone came to me and was like, "I screwed up. Like, I want to do this differently." Tim, what should I do? I say, okay, if you want to work with me, I'll teach you how to sell properly. Let's sell properly. You know, it's about it's about building relationships. Now, what that guy did on LinkedIn yesterday was the equivalent of him stopping me in a mall and saying, can I sell you some insurance? It's like, you don't know what I need. You don't know who I am. You don't know anything about me. Yeah. You, you know, it's about you, you build relationships by adding value to other people. Yeah. So in my Facebook group, I give away, you know, there's nothing. People have said to me, you know, you know what, do you, what don't you show on your blog or your newsletter? Nothing. Everything that I th- I've got to help people, I'll share. So it's like being a resource to people, let people see you as like, and then the, the whole reciprocity comes in. You've helped them. They want to help you. You, you can't do this. You know, the people, the coaches that scare me, Brendan, the ones that come in and say, I've got to earn 150 grand in the first year. Like, okay. But I, that, you know, that's scary because you're under pressure all the time. I'm not saying you can't do it, but it's phenomenally difficult phenomenally especially if you're just doing it online it takes time to start to build up relationships and what have you so it's you wouldn't nobody would set up a you know it's like it's almost like setting up a restaurant and you haven't got a kitchen you know it's just like and you're pushing people into the door but i need the money yeah but you haven't got a fucking kitchen you know it's, it, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a rather strange analogy there but you know what i mean it's kind of like just because it's coaching people think it's an excuse or be, you know these high ticket closers even though they've you know, I had a kid contact me. He must be about 20. I'm like, you know, I'm a high, I can help you close high ticket deals. Listen, closing deals. That's the thing with sales, what people don't understand. So you, you see books like, you know, 101 ways to close a deal. Here's how you close a deal. Would you like to go forward? Would you like to sign a contract? Would you like to buy this? Because closing is the easiest thing if you've done everything else. When people are trying to come out, I've talked to you, you know, we spoke a few minutes ago. When people are looking for ways to close the deal, it means they've missed something in the process. Sales is very, very structured as the way it moves down the process. Closing is the easiest part of sale, but it's the part that people think they can shortcut. Yeah, no, that's... Such great advice. And uh, 
before we sort of get into the closing uh, where people can find you, I want to just ask you another question, not on the sales process, but on the actual coaching process. We've talked about some different strategies, NLP and tools, how you've developed. One thing you said in the beginning of this conversation was one thing that makes a good coach is the questions that they ask. What, what kind of questions do you generally ask that makes you an effective coach? And what other things do you do that you think makes a good coach? Well, I think there's three things you need to be a coach. You need to be able to build rapport. It, you know, if, um, if you can't build rapport with your prospective clients, they're not going to open up to you. They're not going to be high in the first place. But then, you know, when you need a high level of rapport, you can get away with saying some incredible things to clients, really pushing them or, or what have you. And then, like you just said, you need to be able to ask great questions. But probably the toughest one, and salespeople have difficulty with this, it's shutting the fuck up when you've asked a good question. It's not. You know, I've seen clients ask good questions, uh, coaches ask good questions, and then because there's a little bit of science, they've rushed in to fill it by answering another question or whatever. Yeah. In, terms, in terms of what good questions, yeah, really, this is the thing. When you get to doing it a long time, the questions just come to you without you necessarily thinking about it. You know, there are, so, you know, there's just so many different scenarios where you can do so many different uh, questions. I mean, I, I like to uh, kick off every, and this is a question that's dead simple, it's dead straightforward. That, that I read it in a Michael Bungie Sanya book, which is starting a session by saying, So, what's on your mind? So, you get straight into coaching rather than spending time talking about, um, you know, trivia or what, what's the weather like or how are you feeling today or stuff like that. You get straight into coaching. But this, you know, I, I, I've written a number of posts with, with killer questions. Uh, t- two questions that will flick somebody into a, um, a reframing mindset. So what else can that mean? So if somebody says, you know, they're, they're bitching and whining about something, what else can it mean? You know, and the other one is, uh, what can you learn from that? You know, if somebody's had a negative experience, okay, so what can you, so that, both those questions flip somebody into reframing. So if you think, well, what can I learn from it? Suddenly it's not such a, you know, it's maybe a crappy experience, but I can learn something from it and carry that forward. And, you know, uh, what else can this mean? Which will, maybe it means I was in a bad mood or, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I just, I, you know, I could literally go on forever talking about questions. So uh, what was the other one? What was, it, what was the follow-up with that? What were the questions? And, uh, it, it was sort of like... Three things, what are the three, uh, what are the things that to be a coach, yeah. In addition to asking questions. And, and they're just, in the coaching, um, in the coaching set in an actual you know session i think also to be a good coach you, you've got to understand marketing unless you can afford to pay somebody to do it all for you yeah yeah and yeah no that's i, I love how you sort of flip the question around on them and then what i really love that you said was you asked the question and maybe they're just having to process those emotions or like get comfortable with getting their answer out and you've already interrupted them. Yeah, and now. It's, it's classic. It's the same, exactly the same in sales. If you ask, you, ask, you, just, you just shut up because people are uncomfortable with silence. As a coach, you can't be because that, you, know, you may be dealing with somebody that's just taking longer to process it. You know, and, and if you dive in, you just, you just kill, kill the, uh, the, the whole. Everything good you've done is just wiped out because then they, they may well feel disrespected. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tim, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your story. But before we do the final, final wrap up, what's, uh, what's one thing that you'd like to share with people who, because, you know, in our society today, depression, anxiety, all these things are all time highs. What's one tip that you could give to people, maybe not to go necessarily get a coach, but a way they can invest in their lives and improve their lives? Um, I don't 
thanks for sending me that in advance so I could have thought about it. <laughs> no, oh, I, I hate getting questions in advance. Well, I'm going, to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to actually use a quote, my, my favourite quote. It's from Shakespeare, from Hamlet, I think. And it was, uh, there is nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it true. And what that basically means is it's how we see things. You know, there's no good or bad in nature. You know, there's no lion like feeling guilty for eating the buffalo, you know, or whatever, you know, nature just goes on and, and, uh, you know, it, we dictate how we feel about situations. So there's a, there is a book actually, there's a book called As a Man Thinketh by a guy called James Allen, who was a Jesuit priest in the, in the UK in the 1920s, I think. And it's only about 80 pages long. It pretty much sums up all self-development. So I've just recently stopped writing about self-development because I'm bored with it. But As a Man Thinketh, it's just like, it's how you think about things that, you know, of course, there are people that have got you know, chemical imbalances or what you know in terms of you know depression or whatever. But for most people, it, it's it's their attitude. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Sounds, sounds like you know old school self development there. You know, which I'm not too keen on after it. But but it's true. It's it's you decide how you think about things. Yeah, it's our interpretation of the events, not the yeah. events themselves. Of course, it is. And, it, and that's always true unless it's something physical. So it's, it's never cause and effect. So if, if I said to you, Brendan, you're such a tool, it, this interview sucks. You could be offended, but not because of what I said, but what, what you think that means. You know, so it's like, oh my God, you might go telling people online or whatever. You know, it's, it's the, what we do. So it's never, there's always that interpretation we give things, you know. When somebody, I've had people plenty of times attack me on, on social media or send me emails. One woman sent me this email one time and uh, since about 12 o'clock at midnight, I was still just on my laptop with the wife and she was watching telly. And she said, uh, why don't you fuck off back to England, you, 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 you queen-loving, limey bastard. And I just thought it was hysterical. Now, some people will get upset about that. When people have a go at me on social media, it just makes me laugh. So I could get offended. Yeah. I'm not sure what that's going to achieve. That's such a good attitude. I remember when I first launched Facebook ads for one of my old Instagram courses, I got some of the wildest responses and comments. Oh, yeah, and at first I was like yeah. so angry. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to have fun with this. You yeah. know, you delete the comments. You can laugh at them. You don't have to let them get to your head. Like if that bothers me, that's on me to work through that. My interpretation. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, Tim, this has been an absolute pleasure, a blast. So I much learning that. going on. Where can people find you online, your website, this Facebook group, your email list? Okay, well, uh, probably two things. Uh, my, my, the business where I work with coaches is called coachthelifecoach.com. And then they can access the Facebook group from there. I don't know what the number is. It's just a string of, of, of numbers. Um, and then my private practice is adaringadventure.com. And don't follow me on Facebook. On, on, Twitter or Facebook, my person. I just troll Trump and swear and <laughs> tell jokes and what have you. I always say to coaches, for God's sake, don't don't try and do what I do on social media. You're going to kill your business, you know. <laughs> so my Twitter account now, I've got, I don't know, five and a half thousand followers. I don't even link back to my website anymore. I'm yeah. Just, I just use it for, to dick about and be a tool, to be honest. <laughs> cool well so coach the life coach.com i see it right here i just popped in my own email i can't wait to get your emails and updates but thanks again so much for coming on the show you're welcome man thanks for asking me i enjoyed it